Welcome to the second of Inalytics podcasts on investment skill. My name is Rick Damasio. I'm the chief executive of Inalytics, and I'm joined by the renowned sports psychologist and data scientist Tim Hartness. In this episode, we'll be discussing the important topic of focus and how to maintain it. You know, Rick, I, I was just reflecting over the last week on our conversation um, that we ended up talking about nil-nil. And what nil-nil was supposed to enable you to do was really focus. And um, being a sports psychologist, uh, focus is something close to me. And I, I was reflecting on that well-known quote that you can climb a mountain safely, but sometimes it's on the way down that you're subject to the most danger because that's when you can lose focus. And I was just wondering, in your world, uh, does that ring true? Oh, absolutely. And, and is the major source of career risk for so many people. Star performers do lose focus from, from time to time. And what, and, and what does that look like? What, what happens? There are a number of, of, of common themes, but they're also you know, idiosyncratic to each individual. But the common themes are... Um, they start believing in their own press and their own publicity that they can that they can walk on water that that they don't apply the same rigor and discipline to the investment decisions well, that, that that's what I was going to ask you Rick because I suppose in some ways it's a three-step process that the, the first step is that your beliefs change the second step is that your processes change and then the third step is that the outcomes change and yes you were mentioning that the processes actually change can you tell me more about that you know maybe you know you start taking shortcuts in terms of your decision making maybe you're not as rigorous as you once were you know you you sort of relax and you may need to relax you know you could be out seeing clients and talking to the press and you just don't have as much time in the day to do the homework okay. that that that, that the, the homework in the same way that that created the track record that allowed you to do thorough research yeah. and maybe maybe in truth not the inclination either and i was going to ask you because i think you're a little too modest to keep mentioning your paper so i'll do it instead um that that extremely successful paper selling fast and buying slow one of the things that you bring up in that paper is that under some circumstances, people focus differently on the process of selling and the process of buying. But what I was going to ask you is, what does a shortcut look like? Well, it's it's a sort of well-known phenomenon from your world, which is the application of heuristics. So there's a curious outcome in our world where someone who is really good at buying because yeah. they're diligent, they do their research, and they think very deeply about the decision before before they take it and actually put the buy order on. Yeah. But then conversely, when they come to sell, they just apply heuristics. And what that means in practice is that, is that they just think, well, you know, I've got to raise cash for my next great buying idea. So what I'm going to okay. do is I'm just going to sell a bit of this, sell a bit of that. And, you know, hopefully it should be OK. And and they use what's the heuristics in the sense that they will use rules of thumb. So maybe things okay. which had gone up a lot that they think, oh, well, maybe that's sort of, the, you know, now time to sell. Or maybe things which have gone down a lot, which they think, oh, well, maybe maybe I was wrong about that and I should just cut it quickly. OK. And and in the ones that have gone up a lot, 
they sell it before it goes up again and the ones that they that they sell which had gone down a lot they sell just before they recover so instead of thinking about the decision they use say just the previous price movement as a as a rule of thumb for making the decision in the first place okay. which right. is actually that, just very interesting which actually just is not effective so just to take your in a way what you how you're describing a a shortcut is that there seem to be two things. The one thing is that they're not taking in as much information or evidence for starters. And then secondly, that they're not viewing that evidence with the same level of precision or granularity. And um, that just makes for a more crude decision. Uh, absolutely right. And that's the, the, that's the, the process. And th- that's really the, the second step and of losing focus. And, and then what, what are the outcomes that you see? Just picking up on the focus point, um, probably the single most surprising observation for me in the paper, because the, 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 the paper just presents data which we see day in, day out, which showed that, that when the same individuals who are getting it wrong, getting the selling decisions wrong on a day-to-day basis because they're not thinking about them properly, those same individuals, when they sell over earnings announcements, they get those decisions right and yeah. what that proves, in my mind at least, is that the difference between these two types of selling decisions is focus. So one yeah. is but the unsuccessful is that they're just sort of making it up. And then the, the successful ones are when it's a researched, research-based um, decision based on new information and they're absolutely focused on the outcome and they get that right. So in a funny yeah. sort of way, the, the, the paper is ultimately about focus as much as anything yes. else. Yes, it's so interesting. And I think you've got a really good test for focus there because what you want to demonstrate is that this is not a skill issue. Um, because if it's a skill issue, the person would never be able to get it right. But you're showing that they can get it right under particular circumstances, and your explanation for that is that they are focusing in the one circumstance and not focusing in the other circumstance. I've got a couple of stories from my world to try and cast some light on this phenomenon. Everybody knows that there is a disadvantage to playing away in a team sport. Um, And there are all sorts of theories as to why, you know, that the players are not as confident, that it's home ground, that they're more aggressive at home. Um, that the fans want them to win more at home. Um, But studies have actually shown that the reason why there is a home ground advantage is because the referee becomes biased by the home fans. And at a subconscious level, uh, the referee doesn't want to displease the majority of people in the stadium and starts to make the the judgment calls, the 50-50 judgment calls he tends to give to the home team. But there was an interesting case in baseball, which is they started to put in a radar system. The, 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 the radar was able to tell exactly where the ball had gone. When the referees knew that they were being independently scrutinized and objectively scrutinized, their bias disappeared. And that suggests that the scrutiny that they give to a ball is a skill issue, but it is affected by focus. And on the one hand, when the main feedback that they're going to get is from the crowd, their focus is shifted to thinking about the crowd. When their main feedback that they're going to get is from an objective uh, measurement, like the radar, 
that shifts their focus as well. The, 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 the second story kind of connecting this back to focus is years and years ago, 1999, I was preparing uh, the first athlete I ever worked with for the first Olympic Games I was ever involved in, um, which was the Sydney Olympic Games. And I was preparing an archer, and we had the idea to get her exposed to pressure. We were going to get a Special Forces soldier involved, and we went and had this fantastic day with a Special Forces soldier. And at the end of the day, I said to him, how do you teach your soldiers to focus? And he said to me, when you are under pressure, you will focus on what matters to you. I've used that ever since, for the next 20 years. When you are under pressure, you will focus on what matters to you. I'm reminded of a story that you told me from, um, about an incredibly successful Indian um, rifle shooter in, yeah. um, in the Olympics. I don't think many Indians had ever won Olympic medals before, or yeah. if they had, it was certainly very few and far between. And yeah. India, as we know, is an extremely densely populated country. And I would yeah. imagine that large swathes of that population would have been tuned in to the Beijing Olympics when he was yeah. in the final. So, yeah. Tim, do you want to pick yeah. up the story? Because you tell yeah, it much yeah. better than me. Yeah. So th- th- this is um, a story about Abhinav Bindra. Um, so, Abhinav uh, is an air rifle shooter. Um, air rifle is the most precise of all the uh, marksmanship uh, disciplines. Um, you're basically shooting at a target that is the size of a full stop and you're shooting at that target from 10 meters away. And in the final, uh, it's not enough to hit the full stop. You have to hit the full stop with the center of your pellet. Um, And how well you're able to do that determines how many points you get. Um, So Abhinav and I had worked together for uh, about six months prior to uh, the Olympics. We spent a lot of time together. Um, I watched him fire thousands and thousands of pellets I I was so involved in this that I could actually start to tell how accurate a pellet shot was by the sound with which it hit the target. And he was the world champion at the time. Um, He had been through a trauma in that when he competed in the Athens Olympics, he was the favorite, he was the number one shooter in the world, um, and they later found that the floor that he was standing on was defective and was wobbling slightly. And he had this inexplicable uh, underperformance in Athens, and they only realized afterwards that he had been disadvantaged because of a, um, a failure of the facility. So then he went to, uh, to Beijing. Um, as you said, uh, India is a um, second biggest country in the world, and they have no individual Olympic gold medals. So nobody's ever done it, uh, won an individual Olympic gold medal. Um, Abhinav uh, went through the qualifying rounds, you have to fire uh, 60 pellets and then there's a break between the qualifying and the final, you went into the final where you're going to fire 10 pellets and um, you've got 5 minutes to sight your rifle once again and he picked up his rifle and he fired his first sighting shot and he scored a 3 now like I said, I've seen him fire 20,000 shots and the worst shot I've probably ever seen him shoot was something like a 9.5 and he'd suddenly fired a three. His understanding is that his rifle had been sabotaged. Now, you know, there are all sorts of possibilities. It might have been dropped, it might have been, you know, but this has just never, never happened. He's never fired a three since he was six years old. Um, 
and he's got a catastrophe because now he has to fix the rifle. And he could have focused in this point on the disappointment of Athens. He could have said to himself, I had an equipment failure then, I've got an equipment failure now, it's all over. He could have focused on the pressure, the fact that he's got a billion people watching him on television, um, that no Indian has ever won uh, an Olympic individual gold medal. He could be saying it's happening again. He could be focused on the final, what's going to happen. Uh, he could be focused on shooting badly. But all he focused on was calibrating his sights. That's all he thought about. Because in that moment, it was the only thing that mattered. And he was able to establish the correct priority. That correct priority gave him the right focus. And he just steadily began to calibrate. So he'd shoot a pellet, he'd adjust the sight, shoot a pellet, adjust the sight again. And he said, um, the last sighting shot before the final was a 9.3. Now 9.3 is not enough because you need to be scoring. 9.3 means you've slightly missed the bullseye. Um, if you score a 10, it means you've hit the bullseye with the edge of your pellet. And if you hit the bullseye with the exact center of your pellet, you're going to score a 10.9. So he gave his sight an extra couple of clicks to calibrate it. And um, his first of the 10 shots in the final was a 10.7. Before you sort of give us the, uh, the, uh, the, the ending to this marvellous story, the astonishing thing for me yeah. is when he picked up that rifle and the pellet went awry. You know, I, I mean, I can't imagine that anybody would have just not crumpled. You know, yeah. I mean, you'd have just yeah. like, you'd have just, your world would have collapsed. But anyway, yeah. so what happens? Tell me what happens. Well, you know, I, I think what the reason why we find that extraordinary is because he maintained his priorities under pressure. And maintaining your priorities under pressure is something that resonates with us as human beings. Because we admire someone who has persistent priorities. Um, I was just watching uh, a movie last night the, the, about the Battle of Midway. And there had, it may have been a fictional encounter between uh, a captured airman who was interrogated by the enemy forces. And in the portrayal, the enemy airman is shown as not shifting his priorities. His priorities are loyalty to his country and to his friends who were killed in a previous battle. The interesting thing is that this moral strength, this admirable quality, actually gives us the focus that allows us to perform at a high level under pressure as well. So Abhinav found himself in a situation where his, he was being tested. Uh, and it was a test in some ways of his moral fiber. Could he retain the priorities? Could he retain the value of what he had practiced for years and years to achieve? And Abhinav had said to me before, he would be prepared, you know, William Tell shot an apple off his son's head, supposedly. Abhinav said to me, he would be prepared to shoot a pea off his mother's head. As Goodness long as, me. As long as, when he looked down the sight, the target was steady. Because if the target was steady, he knew that he would not be shaking. If he felt that the sight was not moving, he's not shaking, and he knew when he's not shaking, it's going to work, because he has got 100% faith in the processes. And as it happened, 
um, Abhinav ended up in a situation where he had one final shot to win the gold medal. So all of these, at that time he'd been shooting for something like 20 years. He had already been to two Olympic Games. This was his third Olympic Games. Um, and he had this incredible work ethic. All of this time, all of this effort, all of this discomfort that he had endured was coming down to one single shot. And what he was able to do in that moment is retain his priorities on process, which meant that he was able to focus on process, and that meant that he shot a, another 10.7, which meant that he missed the target, he, he missed the perfect shot by 0.2 of a millimeter from 10 meters away, and that gave him the gold medal, and he became the first Indian athlete to win an individual gold medal at the Olympic Games. We're talking about people here who are absolutely both extraordinary and literally at the top of their game. And yeah. of course, not everyone is, you know, by definition, very extremely few numbers are, are, are exceptional in nature. But the key point about being disciplined and focused is something that we mere mortals can apply and can learn from. Because we all have experiences of of times when we're when we are focused and successful, and there are times when we've been unfocused and unsuccessful, and yes. and we know in our hearts of hearts that there is a direct relationship between those two things. And well, Rick, I, I was talking to your accountant once, and he said to me, "You're the most focused person he's ever met." <laughs> and I was just wondering if you could maybe explain that statement of his. I'm very clear about what needs to be done yeah. and, and what needs to be done when you're running your own business changes regularly. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, both, it's both a need to understand what needs doing at any point in time and what the one or two things which you have to succeed at um, and then focus on hopefully trying to get those done successfully but also recognizing, and this is the extraordinary thing about the investment world, is that you also have to recognize that those objectives are constantly changing. Yeah. Constantly changing. So what was important a month or so ago is, is not important now. Could you give um, me an example? A couple of months ago, we decided that we needed to have another fresh start at the visualization of the data yeah and that was an absolute priority at the time and took a huge amount of focus yeah but then once it was done then it it was done you know it okay. was well, that was that you know and then yeah. and then something else replaced it now obviously you know we're doing these podcasts during lockdown and and manifestly dealing with the situation of lockdown um okay you know, is taking a huge amount of, you know, t time and energy and focus in okay. keeping, keeping yes, everything yes. on the road. And, yes. and no doubt, you know, it will change again because, because, okay. you know, because when lockdown is eased, you know, there'll be a different set of priorities. But, but you know, Rick, if, if I can just jump in here, because mm. you, you're making me think of something. And, and that is that, you know, when I asked you for an example, I wasn't expecting you to move from uh, describing a data problem to describing a personnel problem. But in some ways, 
th that's a large jump. It's a large jump to go from something quite detailed and technical to something really human and soft. And that's what you've had to do in a very short space of time. So you've needed to be agile in terms of shifting your priorities and shifting your focus. And it just made me think of a study that we ran um, 10 or 12 years ago where we, we um, did an EEG scan. So it's a, um, a scan that monitors brain activity um, on hundreds of elite athletes. And one of the things that we found is that the current elite athletes had higher scores in the, the high alpha range of brain waves than ordinary people did. And basically, high alpha is a brain frequency that allows you to shift focus. And we were seeing that people um, were able to retain focus on the right things because they were able to change focus when the environment changed. And it just sounds like you've been through a similar process. Well, and, and I think investing in the stock market, trains is the wrong word. You have to you have to be able to do that because no two days are ever the same. No yeah. two mornings and afternoons are the same. So, I mean, if you yeah. take the current situation, you know, w what you knew to be true before, in some cases, is absolutely still the case, such as, you know, the... The, the the power and influence of technology businesses on our day-to-day -day life, whether it's Netflix, Amazon, Microsoft, it doesn't really matter. I mean, those trends which started before lockdown and have been in place for the last, you know, three years, say, have yeah. just accelerated. But there are other things which have just fundamentally and radically changed. You know, just the airline industry is a, is a classic case in point. The hospitality industry is another one. Um, yeah. and, and, and although they're, you know, at some levels, they're just sort of self-evident. But, yeah. but the thing is that, is, that, is that the world of investment is, is constantly evolving and changing. It's both the same and different every day. And being yeah. able to set objectives around recognizing that it's the same and different simultaneously helps helps you get through it and 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 i think that you know that running a business is is in a lot of ways much the same it's both the yeah. same and different and and unless you recognize that you're just going to get stuck and i would imagine in the world of sport it must be the same you know that they know that it's it's still soccer or ar ar archery but the environment is changing so so from your perspective and from your um you know, from your training, yeah. you know, what help can you give us mere mortals yeah. to, 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 to keep, you know, to keep focused? The, these are great questions. And um, these are kind of dangerous questions to be asking a sports psychologist because I might keep you here for some time. <laughs> but, but when we talk about focus in a, in a sports environment, uh, there are an additional two ways of uh, really trying to understand it. And, and I think what's interesting is that focus, obviously, was originally a term that was used to describe light. Um, it was used to describe a beam of light. And the other way of describing this mental phenomenon is concentration. And concentration, of course, was used to describe um, the amount of substance dissolved in a liquid. So the one is a, a physical term and the other is a chemical term. Um, but they're really both trying to describe how much of something. And I think that's what your accountant was uh, 
describing when he spoke about your approach to work is that you give a lot to this process. You give a lot to this task. And if I was to take the, 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 um, the physical description of focus and, and say, well, focus is like a, a beam of light, uh, you could say that the one thing that measures, the one dimension that a, a beam of light has is just how bright is it. If I've got a torch, is this a bright torch or is it a dim torch? Um, the second dimension that would matter is, does this torch have a wide beam or does this torch have a narrow beam? And finally, where is the torch pointing? So if I have a footballer and uh, the footballer has a ball rolling towards him, he's about to receive a pass. Um, first of all, the footballer needs to evaluate, do I need to devote all of my mental energy to this moment? Or do I need to uh, pace myself and save a little bit of energy for later? That, that's kind of question number one. How intense does my focus need to be? And not everybody gets this right. Secondly, does my focus need to be broad or narrow? Do I need to be focused on the distribution of people around the pitch? Or do I need to be focused on the ball itself? And I've had some really fascinating conversations where a player has described to me the revolutions of the ball as it's moving towards him. So they're actually seeing a level of detail, precise detail, that shows how, um, how intense and how narrow their focus is. And then, finally, the direction of their focus, where do they need that focus to be pointing? Do they need that focus to be pointing actually on the ball as it rolls towards them? Do they need it to be focused on a, a getting their feet in the right place? Do they need to be focused on just catching the eye of the, the, um, the forward who's making a run? So you've got these three dimensions that can be used to describe focus, um, which is the, the intensity of the focus, the breadth or narrowness of the focus, and the direction of the focus. The question um, that I'd like to ask you is, is do you believe first and foremost, that someone who doesn't have that focus yeah. could acquire it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is a great question and a, a central question, obviously, for a performance psychologist, is can you improve the focus of people? And my first work in focus was working in uh, primary schools uh, when I used to work with young boys who couldn't concentrate in a classroom. And um, I, I would do sessions with these boys and I was a very young psychologist at the time, and I remember having my first parent meeting where all the parents came in, and I chatted to them, and while I was chatting to them, I eventually got to meet the parents, and while I was talking, all the dads are fidgeting and looking out the window and, you know, bouncing around. And I realized that there's quite a strong genetic component to focus styles. And Obviously, the more genetic something is, uh, the harder it is to intervene or, or to change. Um, so that, that, that is a, um, that's an important question. And I've really got two comments to it. The one is that, yes, we can affect focus and we can make people better at focusing. The one way that that happens is we teach people what matters. If in the business world or in the sports world, we can teach the individual to identify what really matters. We can teach the individual to find the levers that are going to change outcomes in a positive way. They will understand that that is what is important. And when we know what is important, 
uh, we focus on it. I think that that is the key, is understanding what matters. And I would like to think that if that's not something that naturally comes to you, or even if it is something that comes naturally to you, data data ought to apply, ought ought to be a critical component of that. Because the great thing about data is that although we all know the phrase, you know, lies, damn lies and statistics, is that ultimately what data does is it holds a mirror up. And you may believe the mirror is distorted in some way, but it doesn't really matter. But the point is that it holds holds up and it means that you avoid the problem of where the mind plays tricks on you is that we all think we know what we're good at and what we're bad at. Time and time again, when we're engaged with our clients and we show them the data, they are constantly surprised, constantly surprised at the things that they thought they were good at and it turned out that they weren't, and vice versa. And the thing about data is that it, it comes right back to this, it feeds directly into this central question of identifying what matters. That that link between the data and what matters and the setting of objectives, focus and clarity is a continuum. Yeah. And the data evolves and things that matter evolve and but the one thing that is certain is that data can definitely help um, focus focus your mind on what matters and, and we're going to be picking up on the data question in the next podcast yeah. I hadn't quite anticipated it anticipating it leading so beautifully into the next podcast but but there it is I mean I think I think this word of a continuum is 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 the right one I think all these issues are wholly interrelated I found that the people who don't want the data are the people who don't have a clear sense of what their objectives are yeah and and that that they would just rather make it up as they're going along well you know in the world of sport um one of the the phrases is is an athlete who's coachable and an athlete who's not coachable and one of the ways in which you want to make somebody coachable is you want to give them good feedback that you want them to be able to see that their actions have consequences and a fast learning environment is where your actions have clear and quick consequences if I'm playing tennis for example um, and I lose concentration the ball is going in the net straight away so I'm getting very good feedback on how well I'm concentrating if I'm a winger playing football and I lose concentration I don't get the same level of immediate feedback Because I might drift away for five minutes and nobody passes me the ball and I don't actually realize because I don't actually get that objective feedback of making a mistake, I don't realize that I've lost concentration. So my processes don't develop as quickly. And that is why I believe that in the sport of tennis, concentration levels, focus levels tend to be better on average than they are in a sport like football because the feedback is so much better. And... Feedback creates learning and feedback tells us what matters and 
when we know what matters, we're focused. And I think really data is feedback. So in a business environment, when we don't have access to that data, we're not getting that clear, quick feedback. And it means that we learn more slowly. Well, there we are. I think that we started with a very general topic of of focus. It opened up and we both, maybe because of particular interests in life, but we know you know, what's important and what tools we can use to, to, to keep it. Thank you.